I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. There's no place to hide. The good news is, out on the range, you don't need to. It's high noon for Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 314th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. The illusion of complete power has convinced you of the permanence of that power. And unfortunately, when that power is completely illegitimate and you don't realize it, the permanence of that power can be depleting before your eyes and you don't see it. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Not that you know, and you know what? I don't really need to convince you. Because my goal isn't convincing you that the power you're pretending to wield is illegitimate. My goal is convincing good, decent, patriotic Americans that they have the strength to battle that illegitimate power and make sure the illusion of permanence is taken away and that that sort of illegitimate power cannot rise again. That's my goal. Because all convincing you of the powers illegitimacy can do is reinforce your learned and habitual behavior of constantly attempting to find ways to manipulate that illegitimate power structure to your own benefit and always hide from exposure. And that is already the status quo for people who support the illegitimate power structure. There is nothing to be gained by giving you commies cause to replicate that. And I bring this up because yesterday in the Gateway Pundit, a man named Wayne Allen Root published an article about how they're trying to push Hillary Clinton into the position of president. Now, this is something I have said a very long time ago and many times since. Well, before the election last year, I said, hey, seems to me like Joe Biden is actually in the position he's in to be used as a fall guy in the future. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to restate what I mean and then tell you where I think this is going. I introduce the show the same way every day during this period of time because I want there to be a constant reminder every day about who Joe Biden is. Okay, he is 
fully compromised by the CCP. He is one of the most corrupt politicians in the history of America, and he has a son whose predilections and behaviors and vices have exposed all of this and created an undisputable evidentiary history of the claims that I make. So why in the world would one of the two major political parties put Joe Biden in the position of fake Democrat nominee and then fake president? Now, you might say maybe they owed him for his years of political wheeling and dealing. Maybe this was always the prize he wanted. And finally, it's his turn. That's totally possible. That's an acceptable explanation. I just don't think it's the right one. Okay, I think Joe Biden was put in that position to be used because Joe Biden is a stupid and greedy and evil person and always has been. He has always been a malignant racist. In fact, he was mentored by a former Grand Kleagle and Exalted Cyclops in the Klan. Okay, this is just who Biden is. And it's important to always remember that. Why would they propel that person to the front? And why would they install him through election fraud as fake president? The answer to me is that they believed that Joe Biden was particularly believable as the candidate who could beat Trump. Okay. It wasn't Kamala. No one liked Kamala. It wasn't Bernie. He's a socialist. It wasn't Buttigieg. Buttigieg is a neophyte and a novice and a moron and gay, which I don't particularly care about, but voters do at least enough to convince the public in the central narrative that he would be unelectable. Klobuchar was kind of a nothing. Elizabeth Warren is a socialist as well and has no charisma whatsoever. So they went to Biden because Biden is kind of the guy that they could paint as middle of the road, experienced, authoritative in the way he sounds, perhaps. Of course, not in any of the things he says. But for whatever reason, he was sold to us as believably capable of being able to beat Donald Trump. He also has the advantage from the perspective I'm about to share that he is old and he is demented and he can also believably be removed from the position of fake president without anyone really getting up in arms like, hey, you're taking my president away. <laughs> Don't remove the fake president that none of us really like. And all of this was fairly predictable. When Joe Biden became the fake nominee, he said almost immediately he is going to choose a woman of color to be his running mate. And they threw names like Karen Bass and Stacey Abrams and Susan Rice and Val Demings out there. But ultimately, they decided on Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris got her political career by filleting former San Francisco mayor, Willie Brown. She was placed into positions above her expertise and experience, and she was paid more than those positions are normally paid. She continued climbing the ranks through the California political system, through corruption and favor trading. And then she ran for president and she was so unpopular that she dropped out before the voting started. So, now we have the fake president and the fake vice president in office, and there is all this talk 
of Kamala Harris being removed as vice president. And it seems like the manner in which they're going to do that is by selling it to the American people that they are actually going to put her into the Supreme Court. And that is not only the position that she's always wanted, but it more suits her expertise. And she just doesn't feel excited about being vice president. They have mutually decided that there is a better position for her. And by all means, call me a conspiracy theorist. But one might wonder if the push to get Justice Stephen Breyer off of the Supreme Court might have something to do with that opening a spot for Kamala Harris. I imagine that what they really wanted was for Ruth Bader Ginsburg to be alive and kicking long enough for Kamala to have been put in as fake vice president, and then they could just shift her. But that didn't work, so now they need to figure a way to get Stephen Breyer out of there, okay? When they do that, a vice president will be nominated and then pushed through the House and Senate. They have been talking a lot in the media for the last few weeks about how Pete Buttigieg seems like the front runner to be the presidential candidate in 2024. And of course, that's preposterous. Pete Buttigieg is doing his job now incompetently, and he spent a couple months away on paternity leave for a baby he did not give birth to. And he did that in the middle of a supply chain crisis with 100 plus ships unable to dock on the coast of California. Yesterday, he actually suggested that Americans just buy electric cars and then they won't have to worry about gas prices. You got that? So, hey, all of you out there in middle America whose jobs were systematically eliminated in a push for the global great reset on the basis of there being a very deadly virus out there, go ahead and drive your 2015 Honda Civic with 120,000 miles on it down to the Tesla dealership, give yourself an upgrade, and then plug that sucker in. You're never going to have to worry about gas prices again. You will have an extra $80,000 of debt, but don't worry about that. And you could say, yeah, they're just trying to give Pete Buttigieg some good PR and raise his public profile a bit. But is that really worth all this trouble in 2021? Of course not. Same time, Hillary Clinton has started making the rounds on television again. And she is being pushed back into the public conversation. She is being portrayed as a very serious, very astute, very capable woman who is ready to manipulate the levers of power. And why would that be? I mean, Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump in 2016 and the country has moved on. Hillary still has her high money donors and a collection of suburban wine moms who think that they are going to save feminism by putting that person into power somehow. But there's not some groundswell of support for a Hillary Clinton presidency anymore, especially not now that the Russian collusion hoax is being completely exposed. So what is she doing out there? Okay. 
Now, what I have said and what I see potentially happening, and again, call me a conspiracy theorist, not going to hurt me. All that phrase means to me now is that I'm right way too early, way too often for the child brains in the party of false decorum. But I imagine that they are going to try to move Kamala out one way or another. There's a headline about that every few days. Once they get her out, Biden appoints Hillary. Hillary gets pushed through the House and the Senate somehow. I imagine that the uniparty communists in the Republican Party will help her do that because they just want us to unite and heal as a nation. They'll put up some nonsense like that knowing that no one will actually hold them accountable. And look at how they act already. No one is holding them accountable for the debt ceiling and bending over for Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda in trying to impeach President Trump even once he's quote-unquote out of office. And why would they care? They don't need your votes to win elections, okay? That's pretty key. It's not just Democrats. Democrats and Republicans, uniparty communists, they serve all the same masters and they reap all the same rewards. So anyhow, Wayne Allen Root writes an article proposing essentially that same theory months and months later. And I posted it in the feed and someone commented like, how can we be winning when stuff like this is happening? And I was like, what do you mean? And I, you know, I understand the opinion and I wasn't trying to be insulting or anything. I was just like, you got to understand that this is not how this situation has progressed to this point. And it's not how this situation is going to progress beyond this point. Okay. This is not how we've gotten here. These are not a series of losses. These are a series of obvious wake up calls to a sleeping American populace. I don't know how many people are out there who had the feeling like, I don't want Donald Trump, so I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. But there's a lot. There's a few million of those. How many of those people would have had that thought if Hillary Clinton was the candidate again? Probably very few. Hillary Clinton just does not have the support. She has less support now than she had in 2016. People are not clamoring for Hillary Clinton. If they actually try to pull this off, it will blow up in their faces. Nothing could be more obvious and more jarring to millions and millions of Americans. This is the sort of thing that could wake up a whole lot of people. And when those things happen, I say, bring them on. Can't wait. Go ahead. Try it, Kami. Good luck with that. And if you listen to the show regularly, I think you'll know that that's my general perspective. Some of these things, unfortunately, have to happen. I would love for it to be on a much shorter timeline. You know, honestly, I am just as frustrated as anyone out there, but I see it as part of a progression and that progression isn't stopping. In fact, there's no chance that that progression can stop because it would require everybody to just give up and go back to sleep. And people can't do that because going back to sleep is submitting yourself and your future generations of your family to slavery, like actual slavery. This would be the end of human freedom on earth by submitting to the global communists, by submitting to the central bankers, to the Chinese Communist Party. 
by submitting to the metaverse, by signing yourself up to go into one of those little coffin holes in the matrix. Just put on your glasses and now you're king. No, that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. And people being awake means people will never accept that. Honestly, death is better. And I really believe that. Human liberty is our birthright. We are here to defend it. If it falls to us in our time to do that, then it's our responsibility to do it. Period. That's it. So I say bring it on. Expose more people to the corruption that really exists in this country, in this world. All of this ends when the people are fully awake, which is why it's so important to stay on course, understand the progress as it happens, and communicate that progress and that truth to everyone around you. If you're not capable of speaking up and telling the truth at this point, then you are part of the problem. And so I want to go through a couple of more examples of that today, follow up on the Twitter thing a little bit. And I want everyone to understand that the time for agreeing to be silent and agreeing to lie about all these things is over. All right. There is nothing wrong with predicting what might happen in the future based on a certain set of facts when you are happy to support your argument and you're happy to say when you are making certain assumptions on which that argument hinges. That's actually how people do project into the future. Like if you're a uh, financial advisor or even if you're a football coach making a game plan, you don't know that the other team is going to do X, Y, Z on every play, on every drive. You have to go with the facts as they exist, the data on what the team does, and then a set of assumptions. And then you trust your gut and you trust your experience and you hope you made the right decision and that people execute the plan. What in the world is different between that and talking about politics in the same way. All this conspiracy theory nonsense is insane. And let's not act like the people on the other side, the global communists, are not doing that. You can look at their plans. You can read Sparse Pandemic 2025 to 2028 from the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security and see exactly what they're planning. They did that plan that they wrote in 2017, that's how they handled the coronavirus narrative. You can read it. It's there. They were planning. Was it a conspiracy theory? No, it was a plan. So really, are we not supposed to think about what the plan might be and what their next steps might be, what they are capable of and how we can be prepared to respond to it? I don't accept that at all. And you shouldn't either. And if you're starting to understand that this old mode of thinking that we were systematically coached into has now become inadequate, well, I welcome you to migrate back to America. Come on down to the range. Leave all those stupid and evil communist ideas behind. Shed your brainwashing. Get that brain all dirty again. And then all you have to do is make amends with all the people you have shamed and bullied and slandered and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. And then you just come on back 
and we will accept you with open arms because the truth is we need more people in the American project of human liberty and self-governance. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Tuesday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome to the show. Are you ready for a whole lot more of that? Well, let's go. So yesterday, Jack Dorsey stepped down as the CEO of Twitter and he named his replacement Parag Agrawal, the chief technical officer of Twitter, now the CEO. Parag Agrawal seems to be much more a fan of censorship than even Jack Dorsey. And one day later, we have an updated censorship policy from Twitter. This is actually on Twitter's blog, expanding our private information policy to include media. As part of our ongoing efforts to build tools with privacy and security at the core, we are updating our existing private information policy and expanding its scope to include private media. Under our existing policy, publishing other people's private information, such as phone numbers, addresses, and IDs is already not allowed on Twitter. This includes threatening to expose private information or incentivizing others to do so. And of course, that is commonly known as doxing. There are growing concerns about the misuse of media and information that is not available elsewhere online as a tool to harass, intimidate, and reveal the identities of individuals. Sharing personal media, such as images or videos, can potentially violate a person's privacy and may lead to emotional or physical harm. The misuse of private media can affect everyone, but can have a disproportionate effect on women, activists, dissidents, and members of minority communities. When we receive a report that a tweet contains unauthorized private media, we will now take action in line with our range of enforcement options. And of course, they link to range of enforcement options. While our existing policies and Twitter rules cover explicit instances of abusive behavior, this update will allow us to take action on media that is shared without any explicit abusive content, provided it's posted without the consent of the person depicted. This is part of our ongoing work to align our safety policies with human rights standards, and it will be enforced globally starting today. What is in violation of this policy? Under our private information policy, you can't share the following types of private information or media without the permission of the person who it belongs to. Home address or physical location information, including street addresses, GPS coordinates, or other identifying information related to locations that are considered private. Identity documents, including government-issued IDs and social security or other national identity numbers. Note, we may make limited exceptions in regions where this information is not considered to be private. Contact information, including non-public personal phone numbers or email addresses. Financial account information, including bank account and credit card details and other private information, including biometric data or medical records. New media of private individuals without the permission of the persons depicted. And of course, that's what we're going to focus on. But let me get through the rest of this. The following behaviors are not permitted. Threatening to publicly expose someone's private information, sharing information that would enable individuals to hack or gain access to someone's private information without their consent. For example, sharing sign-in credentials for online banking services, asking for or offering a bounty or financial reward in exchange for posting someone's private information, asking for a bounty or financial reward in exchange for not posting someone's private information, sometimes referred to as blackmail.
When private information or media has been shared on Twitter, we need a first person report or a report from an authorized representative in order to make the determination that the image or video has been shared without their permission. Sharing private media. When we are notified by individuals depicted or by an authorized representative that they did not consent to having their private image or video shared, we will remove it. This policy is not applicable to media featuring public figures or individuals when media and accompanying tweet text are shared in the public interest or add value to public discourse. Again, you got to read how they write this stuff, okay? Because they make it sound very reasonable right there, right? They're not going to remove it if the person is a public figure or when the media shared is in the public interest or adds value to the public discourse. But all of those standards are subjective and will be decided by Twitter on a case by case basis. And we know this because that is already how they operate and they have increased their ability to operate that way. And the instances of them operating that way have increased as well. However, if the purpose of the dissemination of private images of public figures or individuals who are part of a public conversation is to harass, intimidate, or use fear to silence them, we may remove the content in line with our policy against abusive behavior. Similarly, private nude images of public individuals will continue to be actioned under our non-consensual nudity policy. And obviously, I don't think anyone really has a problem with that part. But that is always how these things go. They give you subjective standards. Then they give you cases where everybody pretty much agrees that that is something that should be protected for individuals. And they stick that right next to something that virtually no one agrees should be protected through censorship. And again, what do we have? Dissemination of private images of public figures or individuals who are part of public conversations. They will censor if they deem that the intent is to harass, intimidate, or use fear to silence them. And they say it, the purpose of dissemination. How are they supposed to judge intent? The truth is they judge it however they like, and you have no recourse after they make the judgment, as always. We recognize that there are instances where account holders may share images or videos of private individuals in an effort to help someone involved in a crisis situation, such as in the aftermath of a violent event or as part of a newsworthy event due to public interest value. And this might outweigh the safety risks to a person. We will always try to assess the context in which the content is shared. And in such cases, we may allow the images or videos to remain on the service. For instance, we would take into consideration whether the image is publicly available and or is being covered by mainstream traditional media. Or if a particular image and the accompanying tweet text adds value to the public discourse, is being shared in public interest, or is relevant to the community. Feeling safe on Twitter is different for everyone, and our teams are constantly working to understand and address these needs. We know our work will never be done, and we will continue to invest in making our product and policies more robust and transparent to continue to earn the trust of the people using our service. Now, are they going to eliminate malicious anti-white Racism, like we just saw yesterday on Twitter spaces, where a group of degenerate woke people decided that whites should be exterminated. No, they're not going to take that down. But what are they going to take down? What is this policy aimed at? Well, the first place to look is 
where they have named a victim class, as they always do. This is constantly how they tell you exactly what they're going to use to cover up the thing they're actually doing. So let's think about the victim class, right? And all we have to do is go back to the statement. The misuse of private media can affect everyone, but can have a disproportionate effect on women, activists, dissidents, and members of minority communities. So we could take Twitter at their word, or we could ask, does Twitter protect women? No. Twitter has a long history of allowing abuse towards certain women while protecting other people on a political basis by saying that they're protecting them because they are women. And that is well documented. There are lawsuits right now about the exploitation of images of women being used for various forms of exploitation. Do they protect activists? Well, they protect activists on one side of the political spectrum and they ignore and harass other activists and censor content in support of those activists. If that wasn't happening, the country at large would know that we have political prisoners rotting in prisons right now who were falsely accused of insurrection on January 6th at the Capitol. They don't protect political dissidents except in certain political arenas. And they have banned all sorts of political dissidents who support America first policies, who support Donald Trump as president, who want to overturn an obviously fraudulent election. And they pick and choose where and when they're going to protect minorities. And the truth is they can't prove a disproportionate impact regardless. They just expect that we all know everything disproportionately affects these certain groups. And of course, by definition, vulnerable groups will always be subject to disproportionate impact. For example, single mothers who worked as waitresses to be able to afford childcare and their own homes were disproportionately affected by the global communist agenda of closing down restaurants. In fact, the global communist agenda intentionally inflicted disproportionate impact on vulnerable classes of people all through the last two years, and nothing could be more obvious. So right away, we can know that Twitter's priority is a lie. They are trying to convince the public of a plausible narrative to create more opportunities to censor. But while they're doing that, they are also giving themselves the space and the opportunity to censor based on this rationale. And where could this actually help them? Well, they're talking about activists, for instance. And we know that one of the tools in the Global Communist Toolkit is rioting and looting. They use it to destabilize communities and cities and to threaten the populations there into compliance. They don't want the actual pictures, the actual video of all of that being shared online because then people will find out what those leftist domestic terrorist groups are actually doing. So you have examples like that on the one side, but what else could they be going after? 
I think they may well be going after people like James O'Keefe at Project Veritas, because that style of journalism could fall under the guidelines that they have just presented. They've already taken James O'Keefe off of Twitter, and James O'Keefe has responded with what he calls distribution by proxy. He'll put up the same information elsewhere and make it easy for people to tweet that information right onto their own Twitter feeds. And Twitter wants to be able to take that stuff down. And it seems to me like this is the exact sort of method by which they could accomplish that goal. And where is another place in the world where organized rioting has been used to try to accomplish political goals? Boom segue. Myanmar, one of my favorite places to talk about. Why is it one of my favorite places to talk about? Because it is a model of exactly what happened here. A Clinton, Obama, and Soros-supported candidate in Myanmar tried to steal an election through election fraud and has been deposed by the military in what is being called a coup, but most certainly is not. And I've discussed this on the podcast many, many times, but we have an update last night from Reuters. Myanmar court defers first verdicts in Aung San Suu Kyi trial. A court in military-ruled Myanmar deferred on Tuesday the first verdicts in the trial of ousted leader Aung San Suu Kyi to December 6th, a source familiar with the proceedings said. The Nobel Peace Laureate, oh, what a good person she must be, who led an elected civilian government that was ousted in a February 1st military coup, has been held incommunicado and on trial since June with court hearings behind closed doors. On Tuesday, the court had been due to rule on charges of incitement and violations of COVID-19 protocols under a natural disasters law among nearly a dozen cases against Suu Kyi, 76, who has rejected all the charges. The source, who spoke on condition of anonymity, did not give a reason for the deferral. Hey, Reuters, did they give a reason for the condition of anonymity or are you just making it up? The court in the capital, Nay Pietaw, God, I don't know how to say that, and I never will, could not immediately be reached, and a spokesperson for the ruling military council did not answer telephone calls early on Tuesday. Man, that's so weird that they wouldn't just call back the state media and play right into the state media's propaganda hands. Sue Key's supporters say the cases against her are politically motivated. Yes, because she tried to steal an election for the global communists, and she has a long history of being supported by George Soros, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama. Neither the junta nor state media, oh, their state media, got it, have provided information on the proceedings, and a gag order has been imposed on the defendant's lawyers. Suu Kyi is also charged with corruption and breaches of an official secrets act. Myanmar has been in chaos since her overthrow, with the junta struggling to consolidate power amid protests, strikes, and armed resistance by militias allied with a shadow government in retaliation for the military's use of deadly force. Got that? Poor Suu Kyi. All she did was win a very democratic election, and now the military is trying to tear down our democracy. And the only thing that can save our democracy in Myanmar is militias allied with a shadow government. 
Gosh, who could ever believe that would happen in the real world? No one. That's got to be like the big lie. Now, I know, I know every mention of George Soros is both anti-Semitic and a conspiracy theory. And it's anti-Semitic, even though as a child, George Soros helped Hungarian Jews being loaded onto the trains to go away to the concentration camps. But since George Soros is Jewish, you can't criticize the things he has actually done, including participate in actual Nazism in World War II and actual Nazism right now. Because if you say that, then you're anti-Semitic. And because the global communist media will not ever agree that George Soros is a bad person, you know, because George Soros and his allies fund that state media, then anything you say about George Soros is also a conspiracy theory. But let's just leave that aside for a moment and check out this piece today in The Federalist. Soros-funded disinformation group paid nearly a million dollars more to creators of Steele dossier disinformation operation. How could that be? This is Tristan Justice. A left-wing group backed by billionaire Democratic mega-donor George Soros that falsely claims to fight disinformation paid nearly seven figures to individuals behind the discredited Steele dossier, a Clinton campaign-funded disinformation document. New documents show. Public IRS tax filings reveal the group paid a total of $926,000 to firms connected to former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele, the author of the dossier, and Fusion GPS, the Democrat-backed consulting firm that sponsored the opposition research. For years, the dossier littered with false accusations amplified Democrats' conspiracy asserting President Donald Trump was an agent of the Russian government. From made-up allegations of a Moscow P-tape wherein Trump apparently relished the golden showers of Russian prostitutes to Michael Cohen's undercover trip to Prague that never happened, the dossier's salacious claims make it a top example of a massive and successful disinformation operation. According to the newly released Democracy Integrity Project's IRS 990 form for fiscal year 2020, the self-purported Crusaders Against Disinformation paid $521,000 to Steele's British firm, Walsingham Partners, and $405,000 to DC-based Fusion GPS as independent contractors. The continued funding from the group led by Daniel Jones, a former intelligence staffer for California Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein, who, by the way, just an aside, had a Chinese spy as her personal driver for 20 years. Yes, that Dianne Feinstein comes two years after a blockbuster report from the Department of Justice Inspector General. That report documented flagrant abuses of surveillance rules by the FBI, relying on the dossier that agents understood to be fabricated. Jones contracted the work of steel and fusion GPS to promote the Russian collusion hoax that dramatically undermined Trump's presidency. In 2017, the group paid more than $3.8 million to the two firms behind the conspiracy at its height, according to the Daily Caller, which was, quote, more than three times what the DNC and the Clinton campaign paid Fusion GPS and Steele during the 2016 presidential campaign, end quote. That same year, the same Democracy Integrity Project meddled in the Alabama special election Senate race using Russian disinformation techniques. Those culpable in the years-long Russian collusion hoax are just now beginning to suffer legal consequences after avoiding them for years. In early November, 
Steele's primary subsource, Igor Danchenko, became the third arrested over the course of an independent probe in the Justice Department conducted by U.S. Attorney John Durham. In October, Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman was indicted on false statements to the FBI made in September 2016. At the beginning of the year, former FBI attorney Kevin Kleinsmith was virtually let off the hook with one year probation and 400 hours of community service for falsifying documents to obtain spy warrants on the Trump campaign. So once again, who are the conspiracy theorists here? Are the conspiracy theorists the people like me? who say George Soros does A through Z. I was going to say X, Y, Z, but there's really way too many things to just limit it to three small letters. Or are the conspiracy theorists, the people who are actually still pretending the Russian collusion hoax is true and that the Democrat National Committee and that George Soros and that the global communists are not involved in every little bit of this. They are involved in every little bit of this. And you might have the inclination to think, yeah, but they get away with all of it. Do they? If they were getting away with all of it, wouldn't they prefer for no one to ever know? And the answer, of course, is yes. And it has to be yes, because they have existed and persisted this entire time on that basis and that basis alone. They had a situation where it was impossible for a critical mass of the public to understand what was actually happening. They don't have that anymore. The mainstream media is no longer in control. The state media is no longer in control. The people are in control of the narrative. The propaganda no longer works. That is why this is progressing the way it is progressing. If they had control, they could have already stopped all of it. If they had enough power from the fake president and the illegitimate Congress and the illegitimate Senate, then why aren't they able to accomplish all the things they are supposed to accomplish? And for that matter, if you really don't believe that the force for good in this world in defeating the cause of global communism, if you don't believe that has any power, how in the world does Myanmar's military have the power in Myanmar and not Aung San Suu Kyi? And if they have no power and George Soros isn't involved in Myanmar, well, how does this article exist? I've gone over this on the podcast before, by the way. This is April 10th, 2021. This is in the Western Journal. Military junta reportedly seizes George Soros Foundation's bank accounts. Well, that's weird. What is George Soros doing in Myanmar? Because that's a conspiracy theory. This is C. Douglas Golden writing for the Western Journal. The military junta in Myanmar has detained an official from George Soros's Open Society Foundations and has frozen the billionaire financier's bank accounts in the country under the suspicion that the group funded elements opposed to the February coup in the country, according to news reports. The coup came after controversial pro-democracy campaigner and Nobel Peace Prize winner Aung San Suu Kyi won a landslide victory in the November elections, Reuters reported on March 16th. Alleging election fraud, the country's powerful military, known as the Tatmadaw, seized power and arrested Suu Kyi. In the immediate aftermath of the coup during mass civil disobedience in the country, the Global New Light of Myanmar, a military propaganda newspaper, alleged that Open Society Myanmar withdrew $1.4 million from its account at the Small and Medium Enterprise Development Bank, or SMED, according to Reuters. That money was then exchanged into the local currency, the Kyat. 
The military newspaper said this was done, quote, without following the necessary rules and regulations, end quote. The newspaper also published a picture of Suu Kyi with Soros from 2016 in New York and claimed she had met several times with the Hungarian-born American left-wing philanthropist, the Financial Times reported. According to the Irrawaddy, government officials took control of $3.81 million and 375 million kiats in open society Myanmar accounts at four private banks, including SMED. SMED itself also finds itself in trouble with the government for letting Open Society Myanmar withdraw the $1.4 million and deposit $5 million, even though it hadn't obtained approval from authorities. The government announced that it was also looking for 11 other Open Society Myanmar officials to interrogate them, according to Reuters. As for evidence of whether this money actually was withdrawn, deposited, or spent on civil disobedience causes, that's entirely lacking. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, they're baseless claims. What are these people thinking? He would never do that thing that he does in all the other countries. Claims of financial misconduct against OSM staff are completely false with no legal basis, and we call for the immediate release of OSM's finance manager, Few Papa Ta. And I'm really actually trying here. I'm not trying to make fun of how their names sound. I don't think that sounds funny in any way. I think it's just a name. But this name kind of sounds more funny. Benefer Naroji. Benefer is kind of like Benefer. And who knows, maybe Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are involved in Myanmar politics. OSM's vice president, that's who Benefer is, for organizational transformation, told the Financial Times, the military is wrongfully pursuing staff members who have done nothing wrong and, in fact, spent years working to improve health care, education and more for the people of Myanmar, she continued. These false allegations are evidently an attempt to distract from what is really happening and to discredit those who wish for a return to peace and democracy in Myanmar. And Binifer is killing it because that doesn't sound anything at all like the constant PR state media propaganda bullshit that we are fed in the United States of America, except for the fact that it sounds exactly like that. In a separate email, Statement on March 16th, the Open Society Foundations, that is, by the way, if I haven't stated this already, Open Society Foundations is George Soros, insisted none of the transactions were illegal and demanded the release of its worker, according to Reuters. The Open Society Foundations are deeply concerned by reports that an OSM staff member has been detained in Myanmar, the statement read. We call for her immediate release. We are alarmed by reports that authorities are seeking to interrogate other staff members just because they've committed crimes. Claims of financial misconduct, including that OSM acted illegally by withdrawing their own funds in local currency from the bank, are false, the letter continued. Claims that OSM used these funds for illegal purposes are false. These funds were used for purposes fully within the objectives of OSM. Yes, no kidding. Sowing societal unrest and civil discord through domestic terrorism is actually one of the objectives of OSM. It was unclear whether the objectives of OSM included allying with and giving aid to demonstrators and opposition forces in Myanmar, which have been demanding the release of Suu Kyi and the recognition of her victory in November. According to the Wall Street Journal, Suu Kyi's party, the National League for Democracy, won 396 out of 476 seats, compared with only 33 for the military's party. While the military's allegations of fraud were Myanmar's Union Election Commission, the generals seized power in the early morning hours of February 1st. 
Suu Kyi is a controversial figure in international circles, having defended the military's alleged genocide and displacement of several ethnic groups, including the majority Muslim Rohingya, as part of a security operation. Her defenders have claimed her refusal to condemn the action is because whatever democracy Myanmar has exists at the grace of the military, as the coup proved. Protests in Myanmar have been ongoing since February with 612 dead as of Thursday morning, according to the Irrawaddy. The latest clashes happened in the northwest portion of the country where they reported dozens of civilians were killed in two separate clashes with military forces. In Taze Township, 11 were killed and 30 injured Wednesday evening into Thursday morning when protesters armed with homemade firearms, slingshots, and other improvised weapons were met with top Madaw forces who used live rounds and explosives. The village was cleared by Thursday with loudspeakers warning that anyone on the street would be shot. And the article goes on, but I want to get some other things in. So if you want to go read that yourself, please do. That situation in Myanmar is a parallel to the situation here. And the point that I want to focus on is if the global communists were fully in control and if all of the perceived civility on our side was the result of a psyop meant to pacify and delay our response, that isn't working. All right. It's not working in Myanmar and it's not working here. If they are the all-powerful, unstoppable force that black pillars are making them out to be, why wouldn't they have just taken over Myanmar? China could have done it for them, right? Are we to believe that China couldn't have done it or that Joe Biden would have seen that as a cause for American involvement? And if that didn't happen, then why should we believe that something so obviously opposed to their agenda is actually happening. So sorry, Black Pillars, I just don't see it. So let's talk about the China virus and the encroachment of the CCP. This is a letter yesterday from the sheriff of Los Angeles County, Alex Villanueva. Dear supervisors, this is to the uh, board of supervisors for LA County. This letter is to inform you the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department will not participate in COVID-19 registering or testing with Fulgent Genetics Corporation due to the fact the DNA data obtained is not guaranteed to be safe and secure from foreign governments and, quote, will likely be shared with the Republic of China, end quote. On November 24th, 2021, I was contacted by the Federal Bureau of Investigation Weapons of Mass Destruction Coordinator, who shared with me the FBI's need to brief Los Angeles County leaders as to very concerning information they learned regarding the COVID-19 testing of county employees by Fulgent. On November 26th, 2021, I attended a briefing at the FBI Los Angeles field office, as did Los Angeles County Counsel Rodrigo A. Castro Silva and Chief Executive Officer Fessia Davenport. An invitation was also extended to each of you and the head of the Department of Public Health. The FBI stated the purpose of the meeting was to inform county leaders of the serious risks associated with allowing Fulgent to conduct COVID-19 testing of county employees. I was shocked to learn Fulgent had strong ties with BGI, Wuxi, and Huawei Technology, all of which are linked to the Chinese Academy of Medical Sciences, the People's Republic of China State Council, and are under the control of the PRC. I was even more shocked to learn Fulgent made no attempt to disguise the fact they will use the genetic information obtained in future studies. 
On the Fulgent Public website, the following statement can be easily found. Quote, I also give permission for my specimen and clinical information to be used in de-identified studies at Fulgent and for publication if appropriate, end quote. Additionally, the 2017 China cybersecurity law makes it legal for PRC to seize any data stored within China or stored outside of China by an entity which has a presence in China and that organizations and network operators submit to government conducted security checks. This is further explained recently in a New York Times article from October 22nd, 2021. U.S. warns of efforts by China to collect genetic data. Oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Idiots. This article explained Chinese companies are collecting genetic data from around the world, part of an effort by the Chinese government and companies to develop the world's largest bio database. But that didn't happen. That's not why they want to stick those swabs in your nose, even though they know they don't work at all. That cannot be it. That's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> did you see LeBron's dunk last night, bro? Did you see the Lakers game? I am deeply concerned as to the vetting process, which either failed to discover this or discovered it, but chose to ignore it. A simple Internet search would have uncovered all of the above facts. On or about October 19th, 2021, our department reached out to the county's Department of Human Resources liaison of Fulgen, Mr. Ben Kempner, to ask him to respond to the question stated in the news article. L.A. first responders ordered to turn over personal and genetic data to China linked company or face firing but we were provided no response. I am equally concerned by the inclusion of an equity survey to the mandatory Fulgent database registration process. How can one provide informed consent when participation is mandatory under penalty of discipline? Entering into a no-bid contract with Fulgent Genetics and allowing them to have the DNA data obtained from mandatory COVID-19 testing for unknown purposes has shattered all confidence my personnel have in this entire process under the county mandate. Many personnel have long suspected this information was being used in an unnecessary manner due to a rushed mandate that we now know will have long-term unintended consequences that will not be fully known for some time. The FBI felt strongly enough regarding Fulgent being used to test county personnel that they held an emergency briefing to disclose their concerns. I trust you will take steps to immediately assess and mitigate any further risk before any personnel are disciplined under the mandate for refusing to subject their information to the Fulgent system. The Board of Supervisors needs to determine the risk to the county as a whole to correct this issue, as well as inform the collective bargaining units of this new information in order for us to move forward in light of this information. The department will remove itself from working with Fulgent and continue with our own proprietary registration system. The department will continue to work with properly vetted testing companies with no association for Fulgent. So there we have it. And a great question to ask yourself if you didn't think of it while I was reading. Why didn't the County Board of Supervisors go to that meeting? Why didn't the public health director go to that meeting? Man, there must be a reason for it. Could it be plausible deniability? Yeah, of course it is. Also on the subject of medical tyranny resulting from the presence of the China virus or not. Let's go to ABC News from last night. Biden vaccine rule for health workers blocked in 10 states. This is David Lieb of the Associated Press. A federal judge on Monday blocked President Joe Biden's administration from enforcing a coronavirus vaccine mandate on thousands of healthcare workers in 10 states that had brought the first legal challenge against the requirement. 
The court order said that the federal centers for Medicare and Medicaid had no clear authority from Congress to enact the vaccine mandate for providers participating in the two government health care programs for the elderly, disabled and poor. The preliminary injunction by St. Louis-based U.S. District Judge Matthew Schlepp applies to a coalition of suing states that includes Alaska, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. All those states have either a Republican attorney general or governor. Similar lawsuits are also pending in other states. The federal rule requires COVID-19 vaccinations for more than 17 million workers nationwide in about 76,000 healthcare facilities and home healthcare providers that get funding from the government health programs. Workers are to receive their first dose by December 6th and their second shot by January 4th. The court order against healthcare vaccine mandate comes after Biden's administration suffered a similar setback for a broader policy. A federal court previously placed a hold on a separate ruling requiring businesses with more than 100 employees to ensure their workers get vaccinated or else wear masks and get tested weekly for the coronavirus. Biden's administration contends federal rules supersede state policies prohibiting vaccine mandates and are essential to slowing the pandemic, which has killed more than 775,000 people in the U.S. About three fifths of the U.S. population is already fully vaccinated. And of course, they fail to mention that neither of those numbers should be believed at all. But the judge in the healthcare provider case wrote that federal officials likely overstep their legal powers. CMS seeks to overtake an area of traditional state authority by imposing an unprecedented demand to federally dictate the private medical decisions of millions of Americans. Such action challenges traditional notions of federalism, Schlepp wrote in his order. Even under an exceedingly broad interpretation of federal powers, Congress did not clearly authorize CMS to enact, quote, this politically and economically vast federalism altering and boundary pushing mandate, end quote, wrote Schlepp, who was appointed to the bench by former President Donald Trump. And thank you once again, sir. While a vaccine requirement might make sense for long term care facilities, Schlepp wrote, CMS lacks evidence for imposing it on other healthcare providers and ignored evidence that the mandate could jeopardize understaffed facilities. The judge also said CMS improperly bypassed public notice and comment requirements when issuing the emergency rule, which, quote, feeds into the very vaccine hesitancy CMS acknowledges is so daunting, end quote. A CMS spokesperson said the agency was reviewing the court order. Staff in any healthcare setting who remain unvaccinated pose both direct and indirect threats to patient safety and population health, CMS said in a statement Monday. That is why it is critical for healthcare providers to ensure their staff are vaccinated against COVID-19. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who spearheaded the lawsuit, said the ruling, quote, pushes back on the overreach of power, end quote, by those who are using the coronavirus as a tool for control over people. Officials in several states also praised the court ruling. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu said nursing homes were at the risk of closure if the mandate remained. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds said the vaccine is the best defense against COVID-19, but medical providers deserve the freedom and ability to make their own informed health care decisions. And it is good to know that Kim Reynolds is willing to lie about critical medical issues while making the most basic possible constitutional arguments for personal medical freedom. So it's not like she and Sununu totally oppose medical tyranny. They just oppose medical tyranny that makes too many people angry. And finally, also on the experimental gene therapy that 
we are told is very safe and effective in treating the China virus, even though it is neither safe or effective in treating the China virus. Let's go to a truly incredible article in Forbes. Now, one of the things that makes this article truly incredible is that it had a completely different headline yesterday. So here's the headline as it stands now. COVID vaccines don't alter your DNA. They help choose cells to strengthen your immune response. And this is by Steven Salzberg yesterday in the morning. Now, what was the original headline? There are pictures of it, and that's how I came across this story to begin with. A friend of mine sent me the picture. But when I tried to find the article, I was like, that's weird. I can't find that headline. But there's another link in Forbes that seems to go to the same exact article. Well, it's got the same picture, same writer, published at the same time, but a different headline. So I was like, man, maybe that first headline was just like photoshopped or altered in some way. And then I looked at the URL on Forbes and the URL actually contains the original headline. And the original headline is this. Yes, the vaccine changes your DNA a tiny bit. That's a good thing. (laughs) That's what the original headline was. And that was so upsetting to all of the global communists that they actually had to change it to COVID vaccines. Don't alter your DNA. They help choose cells to strengthen your immune response. Now, did they note anywhere in the article that the headline has been changed? Of course not. Did they note that they updated the article? Nope. Let's read the article and see what the article says and whether or not the article matches up to the new headline or the old one. One of the common tropes among anti-vaxxers lately is that the COVID-19 vaccine changes your DNA. Oh, the horrors. (laughs) I love how this dumb commie thinks that that's not an issue. Oh, that's no big deal. Oh, it changes my DNA. No problem. Do they even know what they mean by that? Almost certainly not. Well, why don't you tell us, you very smug elitist? Anti-vaxxers generally have no idea how biology works. And I should know. I write for Forbes. (laughs) Often they are so confused that I'm tempted to say they are not even wrong. Even when they are right about something, it's for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Ah, You're so smart, Steve. Many articles have already been posted explaining that the vaccine can't alter your DNA, including a wildly popular piece at Forbes and explainers by the CDC and UNICEF. So let's dig into this strange notion that the vaccine changes your DNA. First, let's look at what the CDC has to say. Will a COVID-19 vaccine alter my DNA? No. COVID-19 vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. Both mRNA and viral vector COVID-19 vaccines deliver instructions, genetic material, to our cells to start building protection against the virus that causes COVID-19. However, the material never enters the nucleus of the cell, which is where our DNA is kept. I see what they're getting at here. They're partly right. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry, Steve. Did you just say that the CDC is only partly right? This is heresy. I can't believe I'm allowed to read this. They're partly right, but in an attempt to give a simple no answer, the CDC got it wrong. Oh, no. It's true that COVID-19 vaccines don't directly alter your DNA, and it's true they don't invade the cell nucleus where your DNA resides. But that's not the full story. 
the UNICEF article is more accurate and more nuanced, writing instead that, quote, the information regarding harmful effects of the vaccine against COVID-19 on human DNA is unfounded and untrue, end quote. Remember that the whole point of a vaccine is to prevent future infections. That means something in your body has to change, right? So what is different? Okay, take a deep breath and we'll dive in. You got that, children? Are all you child brains ready? Did you go potty first? Okay, well, get your mats out and uh, we're going to sit down Indian style. And uh, here's my chalkboard. Whenever your body is invaded by a foreign cell, whether it's a bacteria, a virus, a fungus, or some other pathogen, your immune system starts selecting from among millions of specialized proteins called antibodies, each one a little different. The way it does this is rather extraordinary. Many little pieces of your DNA are cut and pasted together in millions of combinations, each making a different antibody. Eventually, one of these antibodies recognizes the pathogen by binding to it. What's even more amazing is that the successful antibodies are remembered by the immune system in the form of special cells called B cells that have slightly different DNA. The DNA in these B cells encodes just the right antibody to recognize the invader, the COVID-19 virus, that is. Once you recover from the infection, some of those immune cells, B cells and T cells, it's complicated, persist in your lymph nodes, constantly looking for any reappearance of the virus. Or, as Ed Yong more colorfully explained, picture the lymph nodes as bars full of grizzled T-cell mercenaries, each of which has just one type of target they're prepared to fight. The messenger cell bursts in with a grainy photo, showing it to each mercenary in turn, asking, is this your guy? When a match is found, the relevant merc arms up and clones itself into an entire battalion, which marches off to the airways. End quote. For a deeper dive into how the immune system works, see Ed Yong's featured article on this topic in The Atlantic from August 2020. And everybody knows The Atlantic is where the real work is done. The DNA in these special memory B cells is a little bit different from the DNA in all of your other cells. And it's different because of the vaccine. Or to be more precise, as an immunologist colleague explained to me, the vaccine doesn't change DNA even in your immune cells, but it causes the proliferation of certain immune cells that have already undergone genetic rearrangement. You got that? <laughs> That's a distinction. And I uh, guess a difference. And that is so weird that Steven Salzberg made fun of everyone who doubts his very astute explanation here, but also needed an immunologist colleague to explain all of this to him. But hey, he's the expert. The vaccine itself doesn't stick around, but it shows the immune system a few copies of the spike protein from SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 virus, and the immune system remembers. And I should note a similar change to your DNA happens if you're infected by the COVID-19 virus itself. But wait a second. It just shows a few copies of the spike protein. Well, that's really weird because they've actually done autopsies on people who had the vaccine. And it turns out that they had actually located the spike protein in all of the organs in the body. But pff, what do I know? I'm very confused. Got to leave it to this expert who's talked to other experts. And that's how he knows. But B cells are just a tiny, tiny portion of your body. Every other cell type from skin to heart to lungs to brain is completely unaffected by the vaccine. Okay. 
And if we didn't have any way of remembering how to fight off infections, then we'd never become immune to anything, in which case the human race would quickly go extinct. Now, that's interesting. That sounds like if someone wanted the human race to quickly go extinct, they might have them introduce something that would systematically destroy everyone's immune systems. (laughs) But then again, I'm crazy. Finally, let me mention one other bit of misinformation. Early in the pandemic, some very well-known biologists at MIT published a paper claiming that SARS-CoV-2 virus could, through an elaborate and highly implausible mechanism, integrate into the DNA of cells that were infected. This would indeed be worrisome. Many others quickly pointed out that this result could also be explained by more mundane mechanisms, experimental artifacts, essentially. And in the subsequent year and a half with hundreds of millions of infections, no one has reported a single case where the virus actually did this. Not that they're testing for it. So not only is this event, reverse transcription of viral RNA into a human genome, really, really implausible, It also doesn't even apply to vaccines, which only contain a small fragment of the viral mRNA. As an aside, that study by the MIT biologists was highly irresponsible. They were basically showing off their technical skills, saying, look what we can get the virus to do without considering how their work might be twisted once anti-vaxxers got their hands on it. And the CDC response I quoted above appears to be a direct response to misinterpretations of the MIT study. Thank goodness that there are such responsible experts around who will tell us when information might be too confusing for us to even look at or consider. So back to our original question. Does the COVID-19 vaccine change your DNA? Not directly, no. But yes, thanks to our own immune system, your DNA is a tiny bit altered after you get any vaccine. Your DNA is also changed every time you recover from an infection, including the common cold. But the only change is in the DNA of a tiny number of immune cells, which hang around as guardians against future infections. And that's a good thing. Well, is that a good thing? If that's a good thing and that's what's happening, how come your goddamn vaccines don't work and aren't vaccines, Steven Salzberg? How about you answer that? And while you're on the disinformation train, you dumbass, how about you explain why your headline was changed? I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how. Or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. 
Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!